I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for one of my favorite new series on Mental Health News Radio called Be Awesome with Dr. Christina Hallett. Christina, thank you so much for coming back and continuing to do this show. You know, I absolutely look forward to doing this every single time. It's so much fun to talk (laughs) with you, Kristen. I do too. I do too. And I and we're so simpatico that I was thinking today after a few interesting experiences, which I'll I'll share listeners, <laughs> since I always come from the kind of patient perspective, but I was thinking, you know, we should do a show about boundaries. And I, you know, this is your show. So I was like, well, I'll ask Christina what she wants to talk about. And you said, I think we should talk about using your voice. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, we're in sync. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course we are. So for you, tell, you know, tell our listeners, you know, what you mean and what that means today, the term, you know, using your voice, because it means something a little, it means something I think more profound and powerful in today's culture than it has in the past. You know, I I would absolutely agree. And I just said to you before we went on air that to me, this is the time of voice. And we Mm -hmm. really have an opportunity at this point in time to be stepping up and speaking up. And that's publicly, privately, it's across all different venues. And one of the ways that I think that we begin to do this is that we need to recognize our voice. We need to know who we are and what we believe in, what our values are, what's important to us, and then and also feel comfortable about sharing those with other people. And I think the thing from my perspective that gets in the way the most is that people are afraid. People are very afraid that if I say X, Y, and Z to someone, then that will prompt a certain response or a reaction. And often it's they're concerned that it will be something negative. Someone will think less of me or it will have a negative repercussion. And there's a big difference between shooting your mouth off and using your voice. (laughs) And I think that we are at a time where it's so important to say, this is something that I believe in and that I think is important and I'm gonna share it, that's using your voice. Or 
A, B, and C occurred, and I don't agree with that. I don't think that's right, and I'm going to speak to that. And really beginning to have, and it ties in beautifully with boundaries, but the sense of what my own boundaries are about what's okay and what's not okay and what I think and support in the world and how it is that people have been silenced in so many ways, silenced through fear and also silenced through actions. Absolutely. I think, too, you know, if, depending on how you were raised or what kind of trauma you'd exper- you've experienced in your life, you know, using your voice, I mean, for me, using my voice did have repercussions, big repercussions, and I used it anyway, and I just walked around in my life um, kind of feeling like I have to carry this, this shield around all the time because someone's going to sling an arrow, and because that was what was happening. And so I was being very protective of myself. But as I became more empowered and healed those traumas, I was I was realizing I don't necessarily need to, that shield is now becoming an albatross. It's not exactly. really helping yeah. me because it's, I, you know, it's okay to say no. And also finding, you know, what is your voice? What how do you even listen to it? Do you even know how to listen to it? I mean, those are things that you, um, if you had any kind of, you know, uh, traumatized childhood, you you don't even know what the heck that is. <laughs> right, because there's so many different things that we internalize from our experiences throughout our life and that those can seem like our voice. So often, for example, people will say to me that they don't feel good about themselves because in their head, they hear a voice that says, you're no good. You can't do this. Who do you think you are? And that's not the voice that I'm talking about. It is certainly a voice that they're hearing, but it's coming from what they've been through and it doesn't speak to their authentic, genuine self or their truth of who they are, but it's hiding, unfortunately, who they might be and how they might see themselves. Right. It keeps you from being awesome. Yes, exactly. And this is all about being awesome. And one of the ways that you are awesome is you recognize who you are and that you have a voice and then you begin to notice it and utilize it and figure out that you have every single right to your thoughts, feelings, and actions, as does everyone have the right to their own thoughts, feelings, and actions, even when we don't agree. Yeah, and it's fascinating too when you start to assign value to yourself and you've (laughs) never really done that before but you really or or you have in some ways but maybe you know you're evolving into this next level of assigning value to yourself and and first of all going well am I allowed to do that does that make me a narcissist am I just really selfish am I a horrible person because I actually believe that I have value you know you 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 get insecure about even being awesome and then you you react in different ways to things. I will have things come at me, and I'll use some examples later during the discussion, but I will have things come at me, and instead of saying, oh, you should have handled that a different way, I will instead say, well, that was a little weak, but at least you said something, and maybe next time we'll try 
okay. to be a little more forthcoming yeah. Yeah. in the response because it, it was an exercise in getting comfortable um, using my voice in non-crisis modes. Like we can get real good about, like I will stand up on a mountain and yell about some injustice being done, but just regular day-to-day something that is uncomfortable very, very difficult to use your voice. And I think what's interesting for people is understanding just because you don't use it in one way doesn't mean that you aren't, you know, using it well in others. It's that balance of where are you off kilter? You know, that's an absolutely excellent point, because when there is a crisis mode or particularly when we're looking out for someone else, That's a time where, in essence, because we've got our whole autonomic system arousal going on, right, that whole uh, survival stress system kicks into gear. And we can, in fact, because we've got more energy, sometimes we really can use our voice and be very clear. And that can be very different from, you called it the non-crisis mode. And, And I would say, right, when you don't have your stress or survival instinct kicking in, then are you able to stand up for you just because you're you? and you value you. Right. It's Ooh, a great it's a differentiation. Yeah, it is. So have you tried it that It really recently? is. Yeah, I have. And I, you know, it's it's so funny. It's not like I don't, listeners don't think for one second that I'm ever saying, oh, I've got it all figured out. Boom. Now I don't have that problem anymore. This is a muscle that has to continually be exercised. So when I have um, a lot of people show up in my life that are really irritating, uh, I know enough to stop and go, okay, is this really about these people or is this an exercise in me needing to say no in a more positive way for myself? <laughs> and it okay. takes the pressure off of me being really angry. Of course, I get angry if someone acts like a jerk. You know, I allow myself to get angry, but I, <laughs> it's nice to be able to also have this other maybe wiser Um, person that doesn't just react, isn't just reactive to everything, go, okay, let's examine this maybe from a a bigger perspective and see what is is the lesson here that you need to learn, Kristen? (laughs) Because there's always a lesson. You know, that's one of the things I think about failure. And I think we've mentioned this before, but I love the idea of, I did not used to, and I will share a story as well, but uh, I did not used to love the idea of failure, but now I do. Because every time I fail at something, it's an opportunity. I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm taking chances and taking risks. And I keep and I maintain my worth no matter what. It doesn't really matter in the final analysis. It doesn't matter if a particular action succeeds or fails. The importance is the taking of the action and using that muscle of I'm going to try something. So whether that's I'm going to speak up and say no, which is trying, and then saying, oh, okay, well, I overshot the mark that time or oh, it was a little short. Okay, maybe I got to rethink my approach. But we're literally using that opportunity to say, how's this something that I can get more comfortable and natural with? And be clear about what are my reasons for saying no or yes as well. Oh, that's, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about your example. We, I love that. What are your reasons for saying no and yes, even being able to sit back and pause and 
think that thought before you give a no or a yes, because so often we're pressured in society to make a decision right now. Just make it right, right now. Right. There's very and, little you know, that needs to be decided that quickly. And it's always right. okay to say, hey, that's something I'd like to give some thought to. Let me get back to you. Yeah. It's that yeah, simple. Exactly. I, and it's so it's so nice how we some you know what I tend to do or what I've noticed other people do is give so much grace to someone else taking a pause, but not to yourself. Yeah, and that's one of the main uh, facets of being awesome is this idea of being your own best friend, meaning literally right. treating yourself and talking to yourself the way that you would to someone that you love and adore. <laughs> and we right. fall into that trap of not doing that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about your story. What share share with the listeners because sure. I I, I got to hear what I got to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> It's pretty funny because right now people who know me say, oh, look at you, you know, you're so extroverted and you'll talk to anyone and you're so comfortable with yourself. And that is true. I, the, all of those things are true. That has not always been true and it's not true in every moment. So when I was younger, and this was well before the days of the internet. And so this was the days of the phone, the home phone only, and no caller ID. So listeners, right. put this in your mind. You've got to understand, right? When you, before caller ID, when you called on the phone, if you didn't give someone your name, they didn't know who was calling. It was completely anonymous. And right. I can tell you the degree of discomfort that I had in anonymously calling the library to see how late they would be open was sky high. I did not want to do that. And my parents would say, no, like, just call, just find out. <laughs> and I was so <laughs> uncomfortable. I, that was a time where I didn't want to use my voice and I was completely caught up in all of these negative thoughts about they'll think I'm an idiot. What a stupid question. I mean, and at that point in time, truthfully, Kristen, you probably remember, I mean, that was most of the calls that they got was what are your hours? I mean, completely right. reasonable. Right. From a realistic perspective, had anyone else said to me, do you think it's OK if I call the library? I'd say, sure, of course. Like That's the only reason pretty much that people call the library is when are you open? And yet when it came to me doing it, I was so uncomfortable and so self-conscious. And I had to very actively practice that over and over again. Or similarly, oh, the thing that would like just make my skin crawl was if I went into a store and I had to ask for help. I mean, I just felt like I was shrinking, you know, I feel like the witch, right, with the water uh, and Wizard of Oz, like, ah! <laughs> everything inside of me was just becoming a puddle. And again, because the messages that were going on from me to me in my own head were they'll think this is stupid. They'll think less right. of you. There's something wrong with you for asking. And if I stopped and looked at that, for anyone else, I would have absolutely seen how erroneous my thought process was. But right. I didn't 
I didn't think about it in terms of anyone else. And even if I'd thought about it for someone else, I completely would not have, I would have just felt like it was different when it was me. And I've been thinking a lot and talking a lot with people recently about imposter syndrome. And to mm. me, this finding your voice and imposter syndrome go hand in hand. And whether it's my example from as a teenager or someone as an adult now being afraid to own their strengths and truly be awesome, it, it's all wound up in the same thing of doubting our own legitimacy, doubting our right to be who we are and to be clear and open about who we are in whatever way that is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've watched myself do this too, where in some cases, well, I, I want to state this first. Everyone, no matter where you are in the spectrum of being your own best friend, will have moments like this about certain things. You don't just suddenly wake up and are free of all of your insecurities. I mean, I was watching, you know, YouTube and I saw something with Bill Hader won an Emmy for, he's a great comedian, he won an Emmy for a show that he's written with Henry Winkler and Henry Winkler finally got an Emmy after 43 years. You know, he never got one when he was the Fonz on Happy Days. And it was, it was, I love watching those kinds of moments because you see such humanity come out. And it was so interesting because here Bill Hader has won an Emmy for the writing or the, and the acting and so on for the show. And Henry Winkler finally has won. And Bill says, listen, and he looks right at the camera. Don't think that tomorrow we're not going to wake up and look at each other and go, what do we do with season two? We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Is anyone going to watch this? What, and they just won an Emmy. But I think what happens is you look at, you put people on these pedestals of perfection because of their Emmy or their Academy Award or their letters after their name or because they gave a TED Talk. And you forget that that's a person and they have rampant insecurities Right along with getting up and doing whatever it is, you know, they do that you would say, I could never get up and do that TED Talk. So it helps to know that and I think maybe give yourself, have more positive self-talk because you're not holding yourself up to some standard of perfection that just certainly isn't healthy and it isn't Absolutely. even real. Right. There's no such thing. Right. All we are is humans and we share common humanity. And there's this uh, one thing that the Dalai Lama said that I think of all the time when I'm doubting myself and the at, population has grown since then. But at the time that he said it, he said, when I think about who I am, I recognize that I am one of four billion humans on the face of this earth. Mm -hmm. You know, and that just, I use this all the time as an example, because I think, wow, this is someone who I definitely put on a pedestal and I think is really amazing and balanced and spiritual and lives his values and in alignment and just inspiring all the way around. Right. And what he sees and the way that he's able, I think, in many ways to be that inspiration is because he recognizes and values his humanity. So he doesn't right. have an expectation of himself of perfection. And that's where I think we just so far go off the road because we think that we 
that other people are at that place. And then we think it should apply to us. And both of those are incorrect because there's no way. There is no perfect human being. There isn't. And what it means to be human is to struggle with these same emotions, with these same commonalities. That's part of what joins us all together. And being willing to recognize and own our vulnerability and then share some of that and say, you know, the standard is not that I'm going to be some pretend person, but the standard is that I'm going to be me and let myself be whoever me actually is. Absolutely. Okay. I would clap, but I don't want to Um, have anyone have to turn the sound down. Um, Yes. And I think it's fascinating too, when you can catch yourself in these moments and you can be a really good friend to yourself through a moment of you not necessarily doing it the way that you'd like. I'll give an example. So I'm not talking about some amorphous subject here. So as an example, um, I've noticed lately that I really just want to talk to who I want to talk to on my podcast. <laughs> I don't <laughs> just interview anybody anymore. And, and, and there's nothing egotistical about that. It's just I've done over a thousand interviews. I've spoken to people with a lot of letters after their name. And I've spoken to people that have no letters after their name. And I've, I've learned and, you know, learned a lot. And so I put my 10,000 hours in as, you know, some people like to use that <laughs> reference, but <laughs> exactly. So, and now it's like, well, this is something that I pay for with my fund and my own funding, my hard work, all that. And I start, I turned the corner somewhere this year where I went, you know, I, I want to design what I want to do with this because I don't have to interview anyone anymore. And that's great. That's good. That was a step. But then the next step was the minute you make a declaration like that, the universe (laughs) fetches you all kinds of examples to test. Exactly. (laughs) So I had, yeah, I had a couple of people in a row that came on and, and I stopped the interviews and the first time I, and I was very polite but I, uh, you know, the first time I said, well, the weather's bad. And, and this is me, misempowered, I straight shooter. And I could not tell the person, you're not credible or what you're saying isn't credible. Not you're not credible. But what you're saying is incredible enough for our show. I just couldn't do it. And instead of beating myself up for what I couldn't do, I went, hmm, well, that's interesting. That kind of came out of nowhere with all the empowered stuff you do that you couldn't do that. Next time, let's try and do it differently. And then there was a next time. And in the midst of 10 minutes of the show, I said, you know, I asked some very pointed questions very nicely. And then I said, you know what? This just isn't going to work. It's not right for our platform. And I did it, you know, from a much more authentic place, which Good for you. is is better, but I was very polite and so on. And this person's upset with me and, you know, not wrote me a not too nice email after and that's fine. It's like what we're so afraid of is saying the no and then someone's going to not like us after. But if you do say the no and you look it straight in the eyes, the email or the whatever response that you might get after, you can handle because you stepped into that authentic no and sense of power. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it completely. So this is the image that can, I'm clapping for you right now. Good for you, because that was fantastic. <laughs> right? The image that I have is 
that we're trying to do something, it doesn't matter what it is. Let's say we're trying to brush our teeth. So brushing your teeth with two feet on the ground, no problem. Brushing your teeth while standing on one leg, it's a lot more challenging. <laughs> and so when we're not standing in our authenticity, when we're not saying that no, it's like doing something standing on one leg. It's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. We are a lot more likely to tip over, to stumble, and to get a bruise on the way down. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't ever falter or fall, even when we're standing on our own two feet. But when that email comes back or when the person looks at us and says, well, that's not okay that you did that. I'm mad. It's much easier to literally stand our ground in our own self-like and say, I understand that. And that makes perfect sense because everyone truly is, a, they're allowed to have their feelings. So they didn't like it. That That's totally okay. Probably completely reasonable for that person to not like it or to even be unhappy with you. Just as yeah. okay for you to say, and this doesn't work for me. We don't have to agree or see things the same as other people. It's extremely empowering. Yeah. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. And it's extremely difficult to know how to get there uh, if you were raised in an environment where no one around you was an adult. You yes. you were, you know, either the parentified child or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, but you didn't learn. I mean, this is part of you know, what parents are supposed to do, teach you how to do these things. They're the model for you. So if you didn't have that or it was extremely unhealthy, you have to learn how to be your own parent. And just like there's no guidebook for when you're a parent to your kids, there's <laughs> not really a guidebook for you either when you're trying to be a parent to yourself. <laughs> I mean, Correct. There, thankfully, Correct. there's you and your wonderful books. And, you know, it's, there's, there are those things, but looking through the sea of information out there um, about what is the right way is very difficult. But I can say when you, when you get there and you do it that one time, you go, oh, I can get addicted to feeling like this. Yeah, right. Because there's something very different about speaking whatever your truth is in that moment. Mm -hmm. It's extraordinarily different. And it is one of those, I think, transformational experiences. And you can start small. So it can be as small as, I, I did this with someone I worked with the other day who does grocery shopping. And she does grocery shopping. And when she's grocery shopping, she's usually buying what her spouse wants to eat. But this is someone who's also wanting to pay a little more attention to what she eats and <laughs> to get healthier. <laughs> 
And I said, well, how about you pick out some things at the grocery store that you like? And I'm not kidding. This was a foreign idea. She's like, but I, but I have to get the things for my spouse. I'm like, all right. Well, I'm not saying you don't get those things. That's your choice if you want to do that. That's how you guys have worked it out. But let's think about figuring out what you want and put that on the list too. And that was her starting point. And she went from literally beginning to put things on her grocery list. Then she worked to actually buying the things for herself first so they didn't get left off if suddenly she ran out of time. And that literally was the next step in her process that ultimately worked towards her saying, hey, this is, uh, she wanted to go away for a weekend with some friends. And the way that she was able to speak up and use her voice and say, this is something I want to do was by practicing identifying what groceries she wanted to buy and actually taking the action to buy the groceries. And one mm. of the things that I say to people is, look, just like you said about exercising a muscle, or as we talked about before, forming a neural pathway, these are things that take repetition and practice. And the way that we can mark this, the three things I always suggest people look at are intensity, frequency, and duration. So if it's something you wanna do less of, right? You look at it, have you decreased the intensity? Have you decreased how frequently it happens or decreased the duration? Or if it's something you want to do more of, are you able to increase the intensity, in this case, the degree, let's say, of authenticity? Are you able to increase the frequency with which you do it? And are you in, able to increase the duration of keeping the good feeling about what it's like? And those become markers where you can begin to see, oh, yeah, I am doing this and it's making a difference. It's sort of like an emotional food log. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> An emotional food log. So when you're working with someone and they come in and you are, you're, you know, doing an assessment of kind of where they're at, how do you determine, you know, suggestions as to, okay, grocery store is where you're going to start, or for you, it's going to be, you're going to start by um, picking out clothes or, you know, how do you make that assessment to, to, work with someone and decide what would be the best place for them to start exercising the, those initial muscles. Sure. So again, it's beginning to discover what matters to the person. So for that person, mm -hmm. sort of her health mattered enormously. That was something she really wanted to do. And as I broke down, what are the barriers to ha making that happen, right? Because her health is up to her. The barriers were, you know, it literally got down to, well, I don't have the food in the house that would be healthy for me to eat. So starting with what is the person looking for? What is the thing that they want to happen or the change that they'd like to see or the place where they feel most stuck? And then beginning to break that down between what's underneath, what's underneath, what's underneath and going through that process. So when I'm working with my coaching clients and they come in and they say, what I really want to do is I want to feel more self-confident. I'm interested in where are they seeing, for example, as current blocks to their confidence, or they say, yeah. you know, I'd really like a promotion. I'm like, okay, what's stopping you from asking for a promotion or what's stopping you from applying? And, you know, that's usually a pretty quick answer. Well, you know, they're not hiring or I'm afraid they'll say no, or Basically, pretty much everything boils down to either I feel like someone will be upset with me, I feel like I'm not good enough, or I feel like somehow someone will not like me. Because I really see right. those as the 
baseline issues for everybody. So when we get down to what's the example that they're using that they think will result in the person not liking them, then we could go into, well, you know, how much does that matter? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you right. know, is this is this the person's whose opinion is the number one thing in your life? Or is it can it be okay that they're an okay person and you're an okay person and you don't happen to view things in the same way? You know, that that's fascinating too, because we can go to extremes with that stuff and then we start defending ourselves because someone doesn't like us and then we can, you know, demonize them sometimes um out of uh that they don't like us and i used to fear someone not liking me thinking that if i got to a place where i was okay with someone not liking me that i was becoming a cold-hearted person (laughs) (laughs) that's very funny okay no i understand that you're not alone in that i get it right i actually had someone say that to me someone was talking about something. I said, well, if they don't like me, that's okay. And they're like, wow, that's cold. I'm like, that's not gold. I respect their right to not like me. Like, it's, what? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's that. And there's also that there's also the, well, I also had to, this is part of, you know, thinking, training, you know, your muscles. I also went, well, okay, so that's fine. That's a concern. But also, do I like them? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. That, and that's what I mean. about it. You know, how, how important is this person to you? So if it's someone who's important to you in some way or that you like or who matters, then I mean, right. As a human being, if they're upset, you are likely to be upset, too. You don't we don't typically go around trying to upset or disappoint other people who are important in our lives. But the fear of disappointing someone, which usually is exaggerated in our own brain, can't be the thing that's the barrier to taking an action. And often it is. So much so that it isn't even a real thing for the other person. Yeah, I even got to a point where, very true, where I um, disengaged from working with someone that I just didn't like. I didn't like the the way that they gave non-answers for everything. Everything was, you know, double-sided tape. (laughs) And, you know, I don't like that. I don't want to work with that. And I'm not going to, you know, put any energy towards that. And, but there were other people that were going to be affected by this decision of my not working with them and i that's where the cold-hearted piece came out because i thought yeah but then i'm going to disappoint these other people and you know and if i don't and i kept hearing a voice in my head say so yeah like you don't even really know these people and they you know if they're upset with you or some story is made up that this somehow is your fault it's unfortunate but in the grand scheme of things, are they really important in your life? And the answer was no, they, they really aren't. And so I'm also okay if they don't like me because I made the decision. And that's when I was like, I think you're on the way to being a, a, quite a bit cured. Yay, that's fantastic. But I want to go back to what you said before, because it's always there for all of us. But hopefully what we've done is lessen the intensity, frequency, and duration, right? It's not that it will never come up, because of course it will, right? We will constantly have these thoughts. But if we can recognize them, 
pause and sort of say, hey, you know what? Hmm, what's another way I can think about that? Or is this really what I want my focus to be? Is this really how I want to feel right now? And recognizing some of the choices that we have in how we feel or What's the story that I'm telling myself? That's one of Brene Brown's techniques all the time, right? She'll suggest you, that you say to yourself, what's the story that you're telling yourself about this? Right. And often the story that we're telling is not that accurate to what's actually going on. Right. You know, because our perceptions are built by, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead and finish that. Our perceptions are built on. On our experiences. <laughs> Right? With the way that we've interacted with the world. It does not mean that they're accurate. It just means that's where we've developed them. Exactly. And sometimes they're grossly, I mean, I'll give an example where I watched a woman that I work with, that I had worked with. Every She made such a story of every person. So it's something as simple as we show up at an event and she's not met anyone at this event. And we walk up to someone that's at a booth at an event and the, the two people that are working the booth are standing up because that's what you do when you're working a booth at a conference. You stand there and you answer questions. And the woman that I was with walked up and I introduced her to the people at the booth and they said hello. And then she, the woman I was with immediately went into, oh, don't talk to me. You should be sitting down. You must be tired. Like this whole story was invented about these people that she didn't even know. And she would do this constantly. And I always thought, well, that's, that's interesting. That, you know, what, what is that? And um, I know the definition I got, but what do you, what would you say in a scenario like that, where you can't even have an authentic meeting of the minds with someone before you're already inventing a story about what they must be going through? Uh, yeah, that I would say that that's someone who does not have a good sense of who their genuine self is and that yeah. they are so uncomfortable with who they imagine themselves to be that they're really focusing externally through the use of creating stories about what's going on. And a faster and easier solution is to have a sense of, let's say I'm the same person and I'm insecure. So, and I wish that people would talk to me, but I go up and I say, hi, how are you? And how's it going? And then maybe I say, you know, how is it? And I ask them a question, the people running the booth, you know, I've seen you really interacting with people. How are you able to do that? Because I often feel so insecure when it's my turn to do that. And in just asking that question, you're opening the door for the other person to be relating to you because they have definitely felt that same vulnerability, right? So now you've right. got a connection. Now you're actually getting the thing that you were looking to get to begin with instead of creating the story about what m must be going on. And I'd say in, in cases like that and with anybody, how close that ties to your voice and using your voice is if you don't have a sense of or you never work to develop your own identity, your, your whole life is spent maybe uh, creating an identity out of whoever your partner is or mm -hmm. whatever, you, that's such a loss of 
that's not someone that even can use their voice because they don't even have an identity to know what that voice is, let alone use it. Right. And that's where I'll say if so, if someone's in that place that they begin to sort of recognize that they don't answer the question, where would you like to go eat or what would you like for dinner? And I don't mean to constantly focus on food, but it's a pretty neutral place to start. Like if you <laughs> right. can't come up with an answer to that ever, then that's a clue. Hey, hmm, you're not you're not really clear about what your own preferences are. So beginning to do some self-reflection and starting with what are my preferences? It can be what foods do I like? What clothes do I like? What activities do I like? But as you begin to build your own preferences and putting aside separate what anyone else thinks, you could almost play the game of like, hey, if I had a zillion dollars and all the time in the world, what are the kinds of activities that I would like to do? So if I wasn't worried, or the other one, right, if I wasn't worried what anyone else thought, what would be something that I might enjoy doing or wearing or eating, someplace I might enjoy going? And that begins to help you get that sense of, okay, that's me. That's what I like. And you can, if you pay attention, the person will then often notice that they'll say, whatever, I like strawberries. And then their next thought will be, oh, you know, but my partner hates strawberries or they give him hives. So no, forget strawberries. Right. And when you see that, when you watch that process, you think, oh, okay. on the one hand, it's very nice of you and caring to not bring in something that someone's allergic to and going to get sick on. But by the same right. token, that doesn't mean you can't ever have strawberries. You get to you are of value just as everyone else is. And so coming from this idea of we are all persons of worth, all of us. Mm. So I'm not worth more than you. You're not worth more than someone else. We're all persons of worth. And if we're all persons of worth, it becomes a little easier to say, well, if we're all persons of worth and we all have a voice, then it's okay for me to use my voice, or at least to begin trying. It really is okay, but to begin practicing and trying to use my voice and to identify what those things are, which hopefully then right. is going to lead us into those bigger issues of using our voice, right? The things that are going on um, in the world today have for a long time where we want to use our voice even beyond our personal preferences to speak up and stand up about other things that are going on that we don't think are okay. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, it's so interesting too, and, and being someone that, you know, was around a lot of advocates and from a very young age, it was really interesting to see people that would get up and man, they could advocate on behalf of uh, people who are abused as children, like nobody's business, but boy, they could not advocate for themselves. And having them come to a realization later in life, because many of these people I still know, where they said, you know, part of the reason why I was such an advocate was because I was, I was, yes, trying to help other people, but I was also trying, I was, I was doing all that work to also try to help me find my voice, to help me find exactly. me and, yeah. and be that parent, uh, you know, learning to parent yourself and be, be your own example of what you could be for yourself. I thought, oh, that's wonderful. Because in the past, people would, you know, 
one of them was, that was really um, excellent, uh, an excellent speaker and so on, would get slammed a lot. Well, you're just working out your issues through your advocacy work. Well, that's what an awful thing to say to someone that's doing. Of course, we're all working at our issues every moment of our lives. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Right. The fact that you have issues does not discount or take away from the advocacy work at all. It probably means that you understand it better, but it certainly doesn't diminish the value of the advocacy work. Right. Exactly. And if you're using it to try to learn how to find your voice and and have your own voice, good for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I'm working with my students at my university, because they're all training to be clinical mental health counselors. And so we talk a lot about this concept and we talk about them needing to know who they are, to value who they are, and to really take care of who they are. And that all of that is connected to having and using their voice. Because similar to what you just said, they will often become quite vocal and quite clear about what's not okay for someone else or what they think is right or wrong or ethical or moral. But when it comes to something going on in their life or past experience, or even let's say something about a current working condition, it's so much harder for them to speak up when it comes to themselves. And so we talk about how do you practice doing that? Mm, Yeah. Talk about that a little bit more. Um, I know we've talked, we've had some exercises, but as we, you know, close out this show, just so our listeners have an idea of other ways that you can practice doing that. Yeah. So one way is that you can uh, either through a journal or audio record or conversation with someone that you know and trust, begin to speak out loud those things that you feel afraid to say. And that's literally a way of practicing. And I say, like, you can record an audio message on your phone because there's something very different and very powerful about hearing your own voice saying something. So even if it's something that you're not yet ready to disclose to someone else who's close to you, you can say, you could just say it out loud without recording it. But I like the recording option because playing it back, and it's not about assessing the quality of your voice. Don't do that. It's not like, oh, look, I sound horrible. (laughs) But it's literally about paying attention to what it feels like to hear your voice speak up and about something that's important. And that's a great way to begin putting that into practice. There's actually an app, and I don't know the name of it, but I'll I'll put it in when we post the article for this show. It's free. It's a free app that lets you record affirmations in your own voice, and then you can stick them onto music if you want to. I just downloaded it not too uh, not too long ago, but um, yeah, you're right. Hearing you say something in an empowered way, I've had people do that and then later go, I don't even know who that person is that said that. I mean, they sound like some rock star that can handle anything. And I'm like, yeah, well, that rock star is you. Exactly. <laughs> you're, exactly. You're the one who said that. Yes, yes absolutely. And affirmations for sure, but also those things that we cringe at the thought of someone else knowing. Yes. Oh my the gosh. things that That's we're I do this show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Saying out loud the things that we're afraid we're going to be judged about begin yeah. to give them a little less power. 
And so our internal message is, I am a person of worth. And our next internal message is, and what, who I am is as valuable as any other human being, that what we share is humanity, right? And going beyond that, I'm in charge of what I think and feel and do. And so, right, how do I, and say, right, exactly, because do include say, right? So I'm in charge of that. And and I'm going to give myself the gift of beginning to practice that, of beginning to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to go out tonight. And that's where boundaries come Mm -hmm. in, right? Or saying, yeah, I'd really love to have fried chicken, whatever it is. You know, but that also is what lets us say, hey, supervisor, I'd really like for us to be having regularly scheduled meetings. That's one of the things, this is something that comes up for my students, right? That's one of the things that's part of my learning contract. And we haven't been able to meet as consistently over the last month. Yeah. I Yeah. Listen, I, I had to do that doing volunteer work. Yeah. Well, listen, it's, I, I, I appreciate the compliment that you think that I can handle 20 patients on a mental health ward by myself with my therapy dog. But part of the um, contract is that I'm supposed to have at least one staff member there with me. Right. Don't get so comfortable that you just keep leaving me alone in there because I'm not a counselor. And it's amazing what you find when you are someone that comes across as very competent, how people will just make an assumption that they don't need to watch or pay attention as much with you mm-hmm. because you're not the squeaky wheel. Right. The, getting the grease. And that that's a whole other thing that we could talk about on another show. But but when you're when you are a highly competent yeah, a highly competent person and people can forget that you have needs too. So you have to advocate for your needs. Right. And it's your responsibility to do that. It's not actually someone else's responsibility to advocate for you. That's yours. Yeah. Yep. And just, and you're highly competent. You need to also be highly competent at voicing your needs. Correct. And (laughs) that's why, exactly. That's why one of the things that, you know, I've said this before, I think is so important is to own our strengths. And that when we Mm. own our strengths, we feel like we're more securely standing on those two balanced feet. It is easier to use our voice when we're clear and comfortable about who we are. And so that's part of that process. Yeah. Mm. Well, tell our listeners, and I'm so glad you're doing this series, Be Awesome, um, on, on my show. But tell our listeners where they can find out more about you. Absolutely. So they can always find me on my website, which is drchristinahallett.org, D-R-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-H-A-L-L-E-T-T.org. And they can find me on LinkedIn as Christina Hallett, PhD, or on Facebook, Dr. Christina Hallett. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another edition in our series, Be Awesome on Mental Health News Radio.
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all-